Coming to you from the great Pacific Northwest and the shadow of Mount St. Helens and near the shores of the mighty Columbia River, this is Blood and Popcorn. I am your host, Eric. It is actually a very sunny Pacific Northwest right now. Um, it was really sunny yesterday, like uh, near almost near 70, and then it's like, I think, the same today. Uh, it's very bright here in my office. Uh, we get this this time of year. Uh, Pacific Northwest, traditionally, a lot of rain, a lot of fog. Um, well, when we get into spring, a lot of rain, just like a ton of rain. It's like April showers bring May flowers. You ever you ever hear that growing up? So right now we're getting this summertime tease the closer we get to, to May. And so we'll get this for a few days. We'll get some really beautiful warm days. And then it's going to be like three weeks of rain again. And that's just kind of how it works here. But definitely enjoying it while it is here. Um, hey, if you want to um, uh, interact with us on social media, we only have one. And that is Twitter. And our handle is at blood popcorn pod all ran together at blood popcorn pod we'd love to hear from you and sometimes we'll ask for your opinion on something and so definitely hit us up and let us know so i turned in one of my rewrites so i cleared a little time i wanted to check in with y'all today with a quick podcast and touch on a couple topics in our little horror community do we qualify as a little horror community anymore i don't think so I think the box office results are too good. The uh, television ratings for most horror-themed shows are are too good. So we may have lost that little, <laughs> the little in our horror community title. Um, you know, I think we're kind of running the roost right now, uh, which is a good place to be, I guess. Um, but let's start off talking about the uh, season premiere of Last Drive-In last week on Shudder. Uh, as a lot of you know, Season 5 kicked off last Friday, April the 21st. And we were already prepared for it being a different season compared to seasons one through four because they had announced that they were going to be splitting the season into two parts. So we're going to get half the episodes and then there's going to be like a three or four week break and then we'll finish out the season in like June, maybe bleeding into July, something like that, I believe. And I was thinking about that and I don't know, maybe do maybe doing a bunch of mini seasons more frequently is the way to go. Maybe that's the path to sort of have the last drive-in on year-round. I mean, we were used to getting Monster Vision every Saturday night for like, what, 26 episodes a season? I can't remember because um, NBA and Atlanta Braves games used to interrupt the show from time to time. But still, it was every Saturday night like like a standard television show. Just reliable, must-watch TV. So if that's the direction they want to go here, I have to say I approve. I could easily see it working, you know, four episodes, four week break, four episodes, four week break. I can see that working, especially with the amount of traveling that Joe, Bob and Darcy do. I'm not sure if a lot of you know how much traveling they do, but they do a ton of traveling to go to these shows. Um, and Joe Bob doing some of his um, uh, how uh, Redneck Save Hollywood, although it sounds like he's winding that down. I think he was doing his last show like last week of that. I got to see it here at the Hollywood Theater. And I'm so glad I did. Um so, yeah, but they still do a lot of traveling and going to shows and meeting fans. So I would imagine that doing a schedule like that off on off on would be a lot easier on their travel schedule. The only concern I have here is that Shutter is owned by AMC and not the movie theater chain, but but American Movie Classics, AMC Networks. And AMC has done a lot of cost cutting lately. In fact, they had some layoffs and some of those layoffs did involve Shutter. And with streamers struggling, one of the ways they are cutting costs is to fold all of their labels into one entity, one service. 
Warner Brothers Discovery is doing that with all of their brands right now. Um, the new service is going to be called Max, dropping the HBO from the HBO Max, and it's going to have all of its HBO and Warner Brothers library content right alongside all of their Discovery Plus titles. Very risky move to jettison the HBO brand. Um, you know, so, but maybe they know something we don't. It's either part of a much larger plan we don't know a lot about yet, and it's going to be seen as a brilliant move down the road when they stop losing, you know, eight to 13 billion a quarter, or it's going to be seen as their iceberg. Only time's going to tell on that. Now, I don't have any information on AMC rolling Shutter entirely into his AMC Plus service. Okay, let me make that very, very clear. I have no information on that. I mean, it's already accessible through that AMC Plus service, but it still maintains its own apps on Roku and Apple TV and Amazon Fire, YouTube TV. I mean, a ton of, ton of streaming services let you put it as an add-on. And plus, it's a standalone app. But that does come with a certain amount of cost. A lot of people don't understand that running, maintaining an individual app you know, and continuing to update it, especially as the um, devices get updated, it costs a lot of money. So if they're looking to cut more costs, we could see some changes. I really hope not. I hope this season splitting thing has nothing to do with AMC's cost cutting. I really hope it has more to do with what I mentioned earlier, which is a path to more last drive-in year-round. I mean, after all, let's be real. The last drive-in is the crown jewel for Shudder, okay? Shudder, yeah, Shudder has great content. They're purchasing a lot of original movies. They're producing a lot of original content. But Joe Bob and the last drive-in, I mean, drives subscribers, okay? So I think Shudder works quite well as a standalone entity, and I hope that remains the case. Hey, so again, we were already prepared for a different season because of the split, but man, was anybody prepared for that premiere? The new set in a talk show format? I was not prepared for it, and I loved it. It was absolutely fantastic. And it seemed like a lot of you loved it as well. I mean, there were some who didn't, unfortunately, but it seemed like there's a much larger percentage who did. I mean, Joe Bob is a late-night host for a talk show dedicated to the horror genre. Fabio freaking Fritzi leading the live last drive-in band. Bobcat Gulfweight doing the traditional stand-up skit. Guest couches, Darcy in the role of an Ed McMahon or an Andy Richter. Holy cow, it was it was so much fun. Now look, if I had to haphazard a guess as to why some uh, didn't like it, it may be because they're afraid to lose what we all collectively love, which is the long-running set of Joe Bob sitting outside his trailer at the drive-in. I mean, that has pretty much been the format for basically all of Joe Bob's shows. And I think when people think about Joe Bob, that's the first thing which comes to mind. The trailer, the cheap-ass folding chair, uh, the ice cooler, Lone Star, the outdoor setting. But don't forget, Joe Bob has always tweaked the sets from time to time. I mean, Joe Bob's last call was set inside. Monster Vision's summer school was a classroom setting. And there was this short-lived show, which I cannot remember the name of, and it's driving me nuts, uh, where it looked like a penthouse somewhere above the Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. In fact, I don't even know, I didn't even know the show existed until I saw the tapes of it on the Last Drive-In Patreon account, which is ran by Darcy, with a lot of great content on there. I, I I do recommend subscribing to it. It was so radically different, I wasn't prepared for it, that penthouse set. So I get where some of you are coming from. But at the end of the night, it's still just Joe Bob doing his thing. 
I'm probably also partial to the late night show format because years ago, long before the last drive-in return, I had pitched a similar concept uh, when a horror site I was writing for had started getting into video content. And I wanted to do a horror host show because the landscape was barren. I mean, as soon as Monster Vision went off, you still had Svengoolie, but Svengoolie um, did not have, at least where I was, did not have a national presence. I know he was, you know, he was available on MeTV and a lot of places um, before uh, before now, but um, he was still not like a national presence for, for me. Um, so for the most part, the, the horror host landscape was barren. And... Um, so I wanted to do a horror host show form, horror host show format, like the last drive-in just did, turn it into like a horror, you know, late night talk show or a horror host and cooking show, basically a reinvention of dinner and a movie, which used to be on TBS back in the late nineties, but entirely dedicated to horror where the dishes would be matched with the movie. Now the kids and I did something like this, uh, during the lockdowns, we created a YouTube channel, used uh, public domain movies with me as a host and doing some cooking. It was a lot of fun. It was a great family project and we got some decent views. So I know different formats can work with the horror host genre because the genre itself is the selling point. Everything else is kind of window dressing at the end of the day. Does the host matter? Oh, hell yeah, of course. Cassandra Peterson absolutely nailed it during her run as Elvira. While we can't know if someone else would have done the same in that role if given the opportunity, I do think we can look at anecdotal evidence in that there was a time when there were a lot of horror hosts popping up in the wake of Elvira's success, and no one else hit the same way. No one else was able to stick that landing a catch on nationally the way she did. And the same can be said for Joe Bob Briggs. Joe Bob and his format have also endured for decades decades and no matter what set you have him on no matter what set you have darcy on it's still joe bob and darcy doing their thing and i think the set change-ups they do from time to time eject a little much needed energy into the show i really hope they bring this format back periodically because i found it really really enjoyable and i'm glad a lot of you did too so kudos to the crew at shutter um, and austin jennings the director joe bob darcy everyone involved Really well done, and I'm looking forward to what you have in store for us this week. What else do we have here? I made notes. I actually made notes. Uh, oh, yeah. Scream 6 drops on Video On Demand and Paramount Plus this week. Um, I really enjoyed this movie, I have to say. Uh, my daughter ranked it up there with Scream 2, which, wow. Um, she's 17, uh, is a huge fan of the franchise, and those of you who watched our Wolf Den Theater and Quarantine Theater have seen her grow up in the past couple of years. Um, and I think it's saying something about the quality of uh, the franchise overall and the power, its power as a brand. I mean, the original came out nine years before she was born, and she didn't even get to see the original until she was like 14. Yet she loves the original film, loves the franchise, and even if there are a couple films in the franchise which don't quite land for her and myself... <coughs> Scream 3. <clears throat> They're still better than most sequels uh, in, in the average franchise. So glad audiences embrace 6, thrusting it to the over the $100 million mark in the box office. Wow. And we're definitely looking forward to what's next. Which is a great segue into following up on the last episode of Horror is Hot. Uh, Evil Dead Rise opened, and it opened really big. Uh, domestic gross is $24 million. Worldwide gross was $44 million, and the budget of the film was $12 million, uh, which is pretty much the sweet spot for horror films. You always want to be in that 5 to 15, although sub-15 is far more desirable. 
Um, very, very nice numbers and very nice data to once again show people are returning to theaters. Now, this is an IP title. This is a franchise title. So you have to factor that in as sort of pre-sold to the audience because it's a recognizable name. Which is both good and bad. Um, we need fresh new titles to keep the genre vibrant, but it's also great to see the genre crushing it at the box office, even if it's a pre-sold IP title. On that same note, the Pope's Exorcist, an original title, is getting a sequel. This kind of surprised me um, because the reviews actually weren't very good. They kind of panned it, and it didn't do well domestically here in the United States, um, despite a rather long and aggressive marketing campaign. I mean, it seemed like they started aggressively marketing it um, almost like 45 days prior to release. I remember seeing like two or three ads during the same show I was watching. And when I looked, it was like, what? This thing isn't even coming out for another month. So um, so they had an estimated budget of $18 million, which I think is probably higher because of all that marketing. But we'll go with the, the official number, which is 18. And between the U.S. and Canada, it only made $15 million. Um, Seems like its primary audience was the international audience because the worldwide gross was around $45 million total. So everyone else loved it. So it's done well enough to where they feel confident there's an audience for a sequel, which is great. Good for Screen Gems. Uh, maybe they found a franchise here, which is what we need. More titles, the more the merrier. right? And I can, I can already hear people saying, box office doesn't speak to a film's quality. Yes, this is true. There are plenty of excellent films which did not do well at the box office. And I always cite the Tom Cruise film Edge of Tomorrow as an example of this. However, it is the scoreboard that the industry looks at to determine what they are willing to spend development money on. Okay, That's how the adult world works. <laughs> the, the people who greenlight these movies, who, ma uh, who make these movies, have to operate in two worlds. The creative world and the financial world. It is the uneasy and sometimes awkward, often awkward, relationship between art and commerce. And they need one another, but they can only work together under the right conditions. And box office is the bellwether they look to. That's just how the industry works. Which brings me to something else. Everyone on the social medias uh, seem to love Evil Dead Rise. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't have an opinion on it. I actually liked the remake, so I'm hoping to like this one as well. But I've noticed one of the reasons we may only be seeing positive word on the film is because when someone does chime in that they didn't care for the movie, that person is immediately attacked by those who did like stray dogs on a hot dog. Look, just because you mob up on someone and shout them down and make them afraid to express their opinion does not mean they will no longer hold that opinion. Shutting down speech is not persuasive. It's not convincing. In fact, it's the exact opposite of persuasive and convincing. You think you're championing your movie by doing this? No, that's not what you're doing. That's not even close to what you're doing. What you're doing is being an asshole. What you're doing is being a child. What you're doing is telling the world you prefer to live in an echo chamber and you are in no way cut out to live in the adult world. And when it come comes time for the adults to talk, you should probably leave the room because that's not you. The horror community is better than this. At least we used to be. 
Our common fight used to be demanding respect as a genre from Hollywood. Demanding respect from the same people who used the genre like an ATM when they needed an influx of cash because horror almost always works at the box office. While at the same time, acting a little embarrassed that they made horror titles. That's not the case anymore. Like I said at the top of this episode, we're kind of running the show now. And without a common fight, it seems like we're so used to fighting, we're running around looking for fights, instigating them, inventing new enemies. We're finding this with like the Star Wars and Marvel bros, like the geeks and nerds were demanding respect for so long, and now that they have it, some of them are just as bad as the people who refuse to give it to them. And that's not all fans, but there are some very loud voices out there that are just toxic. And look, I've been a film fan for a long time, and I have defended some very controversial and much-hated films. But I have never told someone to go kill themselves because they didn't like a movie. What the hell is that? Where does that even come from? Unfortunately, this is the direction our entire culture seems to be going. If you don't agree with me, that makes you my enemy. Don't fall for it. Don't take that bait. Don't feed that monster. If you see someone being a toxic asshole, block that fucker into oblivion. If enough of us refuse to play ball, those people will either learn to grow up and play well with others, or they can sit in a sandbox all alone talking to themselves. The horror community is a big tent. It always has been. And it's one of the things I love about it. And it has a lot of room. But don't let the current societal trends of hate and division through the door. There is no room for that. <laughs>